word. Would you bow with me and let's pray together once again. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and how sufficient it is. Lord, in spite of an insufficient messenger, your word is all sufficient. So we pray, Father, that this morning that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you would move through the reading of your word, through the preaching of your word, that you would push me out of your way, that your words might go forward and mine would be stopped. Father, we don't need to hear the foolish ramblings of some silly preacher this morning. We need to hear from you, the Lord God Almighty. So would you speak to us as we look together at your word? We ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Once again, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9, just like last week, Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of Scripture, feel free to take the one that's in the back of the pew there as our gift to you, from Bethany to you. We'll be happy to replenish it before next week. Whether you're accessing the Word of the Lord on a phone or tablet or on the screens or on a printed copy, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at Isaiah chapter 9, I'll read verses 1 through 7. When I've completed reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great Light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have been walking through an Advent sermon series, and as we have been walking through this sermon series, uh, our new student pastor, Philip Shelley, 
began our series by talking about from Colossians how Jesus is mighty God. He is God Almighty. We've been giving out these little devotional books that walk us through the season of Advent and lead up to Christmas. Uh, You may have seen the email last night. We ran out of those books, and that is a wonderful thing. Thank you for the great response. But if you did not get a hard copy, we did get permission to email a PDF of that book out. So if you did not get the PDF in your email, it should have been in your inbox last night. Maybe check your spam folder or, or your junk mail or, or something along those lines. But if you still didn't get that, please contact the church office. We would love to get one of those devotionals for you, get that to you um, in electronic form. We would be happy for you to have that. So last week we talked about how Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's not only that Jesus gives us peace, it is that Jesus is himself our peace. And so this week we look at how Jesus is the light of the world. And this is a metaphor that gets used all the time in Scripture. And it's one of those metaphors that is a little bit vague, right? That there seems to be almost anything. It's like a catch-all. It's that coffee table that's right there on your way into the house that all the old mail gets thrown and piled up. And then eventually you sift through it and throw away all the junk mail and keep the good. The light and the darkness. It's Repeated over and over again in movies, you you find it in Star Wars, you find it everywhere. The light is good and the dark is bad. But Christmas is about darkness and light. It is about a world that was steeped in darkness and now light has shone. Look with me again at verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Folks, it is incredible to me how we get used to the darkness. That's what was happening before Jesus was born. People were accustomed to the darkness. And it is so important to be accustomed to how bright the sun is or how dark the night is that actually pirates wore eye patches. I don't know if you know this. It's a fun fact. You can Google it if you don't believe me. But pirates were not habitually poking out each other's eyes, okay? When you see pirates represented on TV and they got the eye patch, it's not because they're a one-eyed willy and they got treasure hidden somewhere and the Goonies are going to go find it. It is because they have to adjust to coming out on the deck of the ship and then they have to adjust to going below deck where it is pitch black dark. And so what they would do is when they were below deck... They would open an eye patch. They would put it over the other eye. Then when they went above deck, they they would cover so that one eye was always adjusted to the darkness. So that they could go above deck and below deck. It was their rudimentary way of dealing with the light and the dark. But in this world, there is still pervasive darkness. But what I think we forget is that everyone was accustomed to the darkness before Jesus came in a different way than we experience darkness now. It's not the pirate going below deck and on the deck of the ship. It is constantly below deck, living your life completely in darkness. And so to illustrate this this morning, I just want to demonstrate something for you that would happen in my life often. And my mom's actually here this morning, so I'm really glad that she gets to Have me tell this story about her while she is here. You see, my room was downstairs, and it wasn't even this bright when I would come upstairs. And so the problem with having a downstairs room 
is that you come upstairs and it's a little bit darker than this. There were no lights on. Somehow or another, if a light was on at the other end of the house, it kept my mom or dad awake. And so you had to come up the stairs by their room and go across the house to get to the restroom. So I would come up the stairs and I would find my way up the stairs. And then you kind of feel your way through and you would get very used to this is my path. And then I turn and then I'm here. Now I'm at the restroom. We've all done this, right? In your own house, it's your own place. You kind of know where things are so that even as you're in the dark, you get very accustomed to it. My mother knew that I was coming up from my room. It was bright down in my room. Even though there were no windows, I probably had the light or the TV on. And when I would turn to go up the stairs, it was just this overwhelming pitch black dark that you could see nothing as you went up the stairs. And my mom thought it would be funny to move things around in the living room. You got to walk through the living room to get to the bathroom. And my mom just conveniently would leave the vacuum in the middle of the floor. And so you're like feeling your way through. Okay, where do I go? And the next thing you know, boom, I mean, you are down. I'm talking down. And there is a loud, all over. My mom and dad spring out of bed and my mom remembers what she's done. And I just hear, as I'm laid out in the living room wondering what has happened to me, I just hear, <laughs> see, now some of y'all didn't even have time to adjust to the darkness and y'all didn't get to see how great of a fall I just had. I mean, I didn't even knock Jesus out of the manger. Yeah, I promise he's still up here. Let me turn the lights on so you can see him. I took a good fall, but somehow or another, Jesus is still in the manger. Oh, man, everybody in here just blinked two or three times, didn't they? It takes time to adjust to the darkness. And if there is a manger or a vacuum cleaner in your way and your eyes are not adjusted, you run into something that is unexpected. You run into something that seems overwhelming, that is disoriented, that may make you fall, that may make you stumble. Such was the case before Jesus was born. Metaphorically, figuratively, there was no light. The world was steeped in darkness. And in that darkness, finally, a light had shone. Even when the angels show up for the shepherds, it talks about how the glory of God shined in the sky, both physically and metaphorically. There is light that is associated with who Jesus is and who God is. If you look in Exodus, you find that when Moses was up the mountain and he was conversing with God and he could not be face to face with God, but God allowed Moses to see his backside. And just after seeing the backside of the Lord God Almighty, Moses comes down and all the people are scared of him because his face is like a lighthouse shining out and the, he had to put a veil on so that the people wouldn't be freaked out by Moses's brilliantly shining face. In First Timothy, Paul writes that it is an inapproachable light. It is light that just burns your corneas completely up. Worse than staring into the sun. I, I doubt that anybody has tried that, but if you haven't, don't. Okay, you can't handle that light. That is the light of God. 
It's a light that pierces us. It's more than just a brightness. It is more than just seeing the sun billions of miles away. It is a glory and a light that pierces our very souls. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the light. Look with me in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is the very passage we studied in Sunday school last week. Many of you are very familiar with it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I want you to think about how disorienting it is when somebody has a bright flashlight in the middle of the night, in the middle of the darkness, and they shine it in your face. It's disorienting, right? Jesus shows up, and his glory is so brilliant. His light is so bright, it blinds people to even recognizing that it is light. That's what happens. He's in the world and everything is made through him. The light of God steps into humanity and people are too dumbfounded to recognize it. We're too busy stumbling over vacuum cleaners and mangers. We're too busy fumbling around in the darkness that when true light shows up, we reject it and close our eyes. And the whole world had the opportunity to see the light of Jesus, the light that is Jesus And instead of going, finally, we have light, we can see, they were overwhelmed by it. And they ran from it. They did not recognize that Jesus is the light of the world. The light was too bright. It was too disorienting. The difficulty of this is that everything about what we're talking about up here is so metaphorical, it's hard to make tangible. But I just want us to understand This is the metaphor, the analogy that Scripture uses over and over again. It's not just in John chapter 1. It's also in John chapter 8. Jesus says this himself as he is speaking to them. This is one of the I am statements. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So what on earth does he mean by light and darkness there? It's very simple. This is not like daily darkness. This is not like darkness as equated to sin. This is darkness as equated to condemnation. Darkness as in a judgment is sitting over you. There is a weight hanging above you that is going to be cut and smash you to be to pieces. And yet Jesus has moved that weight away. There was a darkness. There was a shade covering the sun. And Jesus removes that shade. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You were in the pit of a cave. Has anybody ever been splunking? 
If you ever think you know dark, go into the depths of a cave, and then they try and tell you, hey, Nathan, everybody's going up into this part of the cave, and it's just beautiful, all these rocks, and you just crawl up through there. And you crawl up there, and you forget how fat you are, and you don't fit through the dadgum hole. And then everybody else is trying to get over there to see the rocks, and you're stuck underground in a cave in the dark. It's kind of scary. I mean, not that I've done that personally. Not that I had to, you know, like back out after they, like the people from one side pushed me and the people on the back side tugged on my legs and I just weaseled my way back out of the cave. I mean, that didn't happen personally. But you put your hand in front of your face, you have no concept that there is a hand in front of your face other than the air that might be moving to hit you. It is a crazy darkness. That's the condemnation, the wrath, the justice, the vengeance of God that we deserve that was over us. And when it says that Jesus is the light of the world and he takes away the darkness, anyone who believes in him, the darkness is removed. The condemnation is removed. The death sentence is removed. We're all living on death row and we don't even recognize it. We're destined to sit in the electric chair and be punished for our crimes and none of us realize it until the light shines in the prison. And finally, Jesus steps in and says, you don't have to pay this price. I paid it for you. You don't have to live with this condemnation looming over your head every day. You don't have to live in anxiety waiting for the day that it's your turn to go to the chair and be punished for your crimes. I was punished for your crimes. And that darkness is removed. That's the primary understanding of how Jesus removes darkness. Darkness is our condemnation. Darkness is the judgment we deserve. Darkness is the wrath that God should pour out on us, but he poured out on Jesus instead. That's how those who walk in darkness have now seen a great light. But it's not that the Lord leaves it there. We were under condemnation. Jesus comes and removes that condemnation. That's what Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus is all about. Look with me at John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. Look at how Jesus describes what he is doing to Nicodemus. One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's the darkness. The condemnation that we already have if we don't believe is the darkness we are sitting in. And then... Continues and says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. The light showed up and we preferred the darkness. Because we have been sitting in the darkness for so long. Our eyes were truly adjusted. If any of you have ever read The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. You think about the character Gollum. He sat in a cave so long that his eyes could not stand the sunshine any longer. His eyes adjusted to the darkness. And the sun almost burned his skin. It made it where he could not see because his eyes could only perceive in the darkness. That's you and I. We get so used to our sinful ways. We get so used to just worrying about that condemnation that will come one day. I don't have to worry about it today. It's just like smoking cigarettes, right? Everybody at this point ought to know how dangerous smoking cigarettes are. 
but it doesn't necessarily harm us today, right? I can smoke a cigarette today, maybe I cough a little bit more than I would, and it is slowly eating away at my insides and slowly killing me and stealing years from the end of my life, but I'll worry about that another day. Same thing with eating, right? I'll just continue to eat all this cholesterol-filled food, and it's not affecting me today, but it's stealing years off the end of my life. But I'll deal with that another day. We're used to the darkness. I mean, okay, they say there's a judgment coming, but that's not today. I won't worry about that today. That's future Nathan's problem. Today's problems we'll deal with today. But I'm not going to worry about that condemnation. It's because we're sitting in the darkness. We forget that there is light. We reject the light even though it has come. Jesus is the light of the world. Do not choose the darkness. Do not choose the condemnation. Do not choose to reject the light. Believe in Jesus and experience the light of the gospel. Jesus is the light. But secondly, he calls us to shine his light. The metaphor continues. Look with me as we go down now to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Folks, this passage starts off in that same realm as Jesus is the light and the darkness is being pushed out of the way. The condemnation is being removed and then it moves from that big idea to the day-to-day living. Day-to-day living, we've got a light. And, and I mean, I know we've sung it in this church and I know we've done it when the kids leave. I know, but this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I know we talk about this often, but that is Jesus. We live in a world that is still dark. And the way that Jesus shines his light now is not coming as a little baby, but it's through you and it's through me. And if you don't believe me, listen to his command in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus just said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. But now in chapter 5 in Matthew, he's saying you are the light of the world. So am I the light of the world or is Jesus the light of the world? Yes. That's the answer. It's both and. 
Jesus is the light of the world, removing the condemnation that we deserve, removing the death sentence that we deserve. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit that we might shine that same light that has freed us, that has opened our eyes, that we were blind, but now we see. And now it is our job to go and show people this same light that has revolutionized our life. And so I, I just I just wonder, as we read this, and you read, you are the light of the world. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, I just wonder, don't answer out loud, but how do you rate yourself and how do you measure up in your own standards, in your own understanding of Scripture? Jesus says, if you're following him, if you're walking with him and you are in the light as he is in the light, you are the light of the world. How dark is your world? How bright is your light? If you are the light of the world, are you going to trip over a manger? Are you going to flip over a vacuum cleaner that your mom left out as a prank and a joke? Are your eyes adjusted to the darkness? Maybe you're a pirate and you're living, you know, you got, you got a little eye patch right here and then you just flip it to the other side. You just get used to the darkness and then you get used to the light. You go back to the darkness. You go back to the light. You just waver back and forth. I wonder this morning, are you living up to being the light of the world? When I read that passage, I have to ask myself that question. Nathan, how are you being the light of the world? How are you living out what Jesus has said to be salt, to be light? This world is dark. This world is bland. And we, his children, are the flavor and the light. So I wonder how bland is our world and how dark is our world? Because if we want to complain and say, Lord, I just can't believe that this world is as terrible as it is. It's just so awful. It's just so terrible. All these people doing crazy stuff for our nation. All these people in the government. All these politicians. All this, all that. All this trouble. All this strife. It's just dark. We can complain to the Lord about that all day long. But as I read scripture, it says we're supposed to be the light. If we want it to not be as dark, why aren't we shining his light? Why aren't we living the gospel that he taught us? That there is good news. There's really, really, really good news. And it's good news that changes everything about who we are and how we live. And it's not just in Matthew. It's in 1 Peter. It's in Acts chapter 13. It's in Acts chapter 26. This is where Paul is talking to King Agrippa. Okay, this is the last passage we'll look at. But Paul is standing before a king who has all the authority to end his life immediately. And the king wants to know, what is going on with you, Paul? What has happened to you? I need an explanation. And so Paul begins, Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 13. He's giving his testimony to King Agrippa. We're picking up kind of in the middle. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. Hello, Jesus shows up to Paul on the road to Damascus. And how does Paul describe how Jesus showed up to him? A light from heaven. When Jesus showed up as a little baby in a manger, guess what? He was the same light from heaven. And it blinded Paul. Brighter than the sun, it shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Listen to this in verse 18. He has given Paul this mission. The light Jesus shows up to Paul. This is the mission he gives To Paul, to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and turn from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That same mission that Jesus gave to Paul is the same mission he gives to each and every one of us. If there's ever been a day in your life where the light of Jesus shone upon you and you fell to your knees and said, my God, my God, save me, forgive me, I need your light. This is the mission. Jesus saves us. He forgives us. He turns us around. He gives us a new life. He frees us from the power of Satan so that we be controlled by the power of God. And he gives us the same mission to go share the light. Paul continues in this, and he is trying to get King Agrippa to trust in Jesus. King Agrippa's response in verse 24 is, Paul, you have lost your mind. You would have me be a Christian too, wouldn't you? And Paul said, I would that everybody would be a Christian. How's that in our lives? Paul's in chains talking to somebody who holds his life in his hands. And Paul is humiliating himself so that that man might get the light And you and I don't even have the courage and the bravery to talk to our coworkers, to talk to our family, to talk to our friends, those who are struggling and steeped in darkness. We have the answer. We have the light. And we spend holiday season ignoring the light and steeping ourselves in darkness. So I'm just wondering, how are we doing at following this same mission so that they may turn from darkness? Hmm. Listen to how Paul ends. Verse 23. He says that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he, Jesus, would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. It's not just light for one race of people. It's a light for everyone. It's not just light for the tall. It's not just light for the short. It's not just light for the skinny or light for the fat. It's not just light for Caucasian people or light just for black people. It's not just light for Asian people or just light for Hispanic people. It's not just light for Jew or Greek or Scythian or slave or free. It is light for everyone. But sometimes you and I go, ooh, 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 I'm going to shine the light on that person. Whoop, there it is. I got you. See, I was hoping to have a flashlight up here at this point in time, but it didn't charge. And so that's on me. But I was going to shine a light on y'all and be like, ooh, I like shining my light on this person, but I ain't going to shine no light on that person. I mean, Grayson down here, he's just looking kind of mean. I ain't going to deal with Grayson. I ain't going to shine no light on him. Ooh, but I shine a light on Kevin. He's smiling. He looks easy and, and, and kind. I'll just go talk to him and share, share the light with him. We don't get to choose. The light is for everyone, no matter how convenient or inconvenient, no matter how alike or how different. The light is for everyone. And at the end of the day, Jesus is the light. You and I should still be in darkness, but he freed us by being the light. And so I I just wonder, I can't answer for you. I've got to answer for me. How are you doing at letting your little light shine? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Are you letting your light shine? Are you letting the light of Jesus shine through you? And maybe you're here this morning and you're still in darkness. I want you to know that there is light and life available to you. This really, really, really good news is available for anyone who would confess their sins, who would trust in Jesus, and who would say, Jesus, I want you to save me. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In just a brief moment, we're going to pray, and then Jason's going to come lead us in a song of invitation. I want to encourage you to respond in those moments, to ask God to shine his light through you. And maybe that means you need to come and use these steps as like a a makeshift altar. Maybe you need to turn around and use your pew as a makeshift altar. Maybe you stand right where you are and you sing and you pray. Maybe you come down and say, hey, I I need to know Jesus. And you you talk to Philip, you talk to me. We'll, We'll be down front. We'll be happy to tell you more about the light of the gospel. But I'm going to pray for us out loud. I encourage you to pray in your heart. And then Jason will lead us. And at that time, I I encourage you to respond as the Holy Spirit moves among us. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the truth that is found in it. Thank you for shining a light into the darkness. Thank you for really, really, really good news. Lord, we pray that you would help us and cause us to shine your light. No matter how inconvenient or uncomfortable it may be to all who would hear, that you would use us to open the eyes of the blind, that you would use us to shine your light, to free those who are trapped in darkness. Lord, would you convict us and motivate us to be intentional throughout this holiday season and not allow the busyness of the season to steep us in a deep darkness. Father, we ask that you would move among us that we might respond in obedience during this time. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.